everyone. Welcome to the brand new season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host author Emma Polova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavant and authors Hilton Everett-Moore and Ed Bentley. Together, we've been bringing you stories for 130 years. Today, I will be chatting with UP author Hilton Everett-Moore, who will announce the details of his book giveaway of North of Nelson, Volume 2, at the end of the interview. Hilton Moore is an award-winning short story writer, living in his cabin in the wilderness of the UP. Currently, he's restoring an old sailboat that he hopes to sail on Lake Superior and continue his writing. He likes to fish with worms. Hello, Hilton. How are you today? Hello, Emma. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start us off with a review by author Sue Harrison on Goodreads. North of Nelson should be read slowly savoring the quirky characters, the poetry of the word, the odd fierce stories. Hilton Everett-Moore is much more than a regional writer. His words and stories place him in high literary circles. That's a pretty hefty review. I'm fascinated by your stories which you have written unapologetically, and they carry themes that most authors will not touch. Which is your favorite story in volume two and why? Uh, it's probably The Lone Wolf. Okay. And it's and because uh, two things. On, on one level, it talks about the current dilemmas between people who are supportive of wolves and people who are against wolves. Okay. But on but on a secondary level, it is an exploration of self. It's an exploration of Randy, the protagonist, with himself. Okay. And how he handles the dilemma of predators on his farm. Okay, so that's her favorite one. Are your stories inspired by real life events? And if so, which ones? Well, yes. I mean, I don't think a, a fiction writer can write something that doesn't have a kernel of truth. If it doesn't have that kernel of truth, it, it just doesn't work. It has to have that. Right. I agree. One. I agree 100%. Uh, you're not afraid to expose stories of incest, lust, love, and hate. And your writing style is very dramatic. Where did you learn how to write so eloquently? <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I really don't know when I write, it just kind of comes to me. I did I did work as a writing tutor at Grand Valley State University. Okay. So but I was kind of I mean, not really a teacher. I mean I wasn't I guess a tutor more than anything else. And in in tutoring people about writing, you learn. There right. is no way you cannot learn. Mm -hmm. Because it is a challenging thing to tutor somebody else you not only have to be true to yourself 
you have to be true to what that other person is writing. So I, I, I guess my inspiration for my short stories, I don't know, it just shows up. Okay. And in your last episode, you mentioned that you usually work the story from the end to the beginning, that you already have an idea about the end. Yes, that's true. Okay. That hasn't that hasn't changed for me. In fact, as time goes along and I write more, I'm much more comfortable with that approach. Okay. It isn't every writer's cup of tea. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have some sense of what I want to say, how am I going to get there? Right. I mean, it is imperative to have some sense of where you want to end, what you want to say, when you want to say it. But are your stories plot-driven or character-driven? I would say more character-driven. Okay. Uh, th there's nothing wrong with plot-driven. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I use my characters to say something. Right. They aren't, it isn't just verbiage that shows up on the page. It is ideas and concepts. Yes. How long did it take you to write volume two of North of Nelson? approximately uh, about six months I guess. about maybe, six months maybe okay. a little longer it's illustrated by a young lady in romania i i, I try to make the book a package so mm -hmm. it's not it's not just my words but it's illustrations that go along with my words that completes it and she does a wonderful job oh yeah i love those illustrations they're amazing they're all black and white because the UP hmm. is the UP in itself is black and white. Right. right. I mean, it is, it's not like it's somber, but there is a grayness about the upper peninsula. Yes. How is volume two different from volume one? The stories in volume two, as opposed to the stories in volume one. Well, I handle different subjects in volume two as opposed to volume one. So it's not just repetition. Mm -hmm. It is it is the introduction or introduction of different ideas. Okay. How does the rough nature of the UP inspire you? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, it, it is an inspiration of itself. Actually, the Upper Peninsula, in the way I write, is a character. It is yes. a live embodiment of mm -hmm. what I write. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, what was the most challenging part in writing Volume 2? Well, every short story is a part of me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a part of who I am. So it's in writing, it is not only an exploration of ideas and characters, it's an exploration of myself. Of yourself. How about the most gratifying part? The most gratifying part is when somebody reads what I've written and okay. says, 
I got it. I got it. Sure. What are the major takeaways from volume two? Uh, well, I, I guess what I'm trying to explain is universal concepts. Okay. Not, not just this piece of geography. Yes, the UP is geography, mm -hmm. but it is so much more than that. It is an exploration of yourself. And when somebody can say, I got it, mm -hmm. that, make, yeah, that makes my day. I bet. Any surprises, discoveries, or epiphanies from writing this book or while you were writing this? I, I guess, you know, I didn't know whether volume one was just a fluke. Okay. Whether I would ever be able to go beyond that, that I would ever develop as a writer. Mm -hmm. And volume two is, I guess, I'm gratified in that um, I continue to explore and I continue to become a better writer with everything I write. Right, right. What do you feel you did right? No one else could have done it like you in volume two. Well, I wrote about incest in the very first right. story. And that's mm -hmm. a subject that most writers don't right. want to touch. That's taboo. Mm -hmm. It's taboo. But as a writer, to be true to yourself, you have to step out. So you're not afraid to write about themes like that? You're comfortable writing about, let's say, incest. I read that story. That's a fascinating story. So you were comfortable writing about that? No, not comfortable. Not okay. at all. Right. But... If there is a subject that you feel you must say something about, as a writer, you must do it. Right. You know, all this, all this book banning crap that's going on all over the country. It's by people that don't want to break out beyond the barriers of their own life. Right. The books that are are being banned. Uh, they need to be read by everyone, mm -hmm. not because they're any better, but because they are willing to challenge the reader to see something that they normally wouldn't look at. Right. They're challenging our thinking. Yes. What would you have done differently, if anything? Maybe work a little faster. Faster. That's already fast, six months. <laughs> How about any regrets about your writing career? Would you do it all over again? Maybe earlier. Earlier. I'm, I'm 71, you know, I'm no spring chicken. Wow. Um, but um, I still feel like I have years and stories to tell. Things I want to challenge the reader about. Absolutely. What is the most bizarre or interesting thing that has ever happened to you during an either in-person author event or virtual event? Strange things happen. Yeah, well, 
I'm not willing to discuss that. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I take that. <laughs> A lot of authors answer that way. <laughs> I take it. So what's next for Hilton? Well, I'm currently working on my third novel. Uh, in fact, I'm well on my way to having it done. It's called Three Miles North of Nelson. And it's a continuation of the same themes, different stories, different characters, and different subjects. Okay, and I, it's going to be a book of short stories or a yes, full-length novel? I, I have novels in the works, okay. but I am really comfortable writing in the short story genre. Format. Mm -hmm. It works for me. Yep, definitely. All right, would you like to read to us, and what are you going to read? I'm going to read from North of Nelson Vine 2, the, obviously the, the one we're dealing with today. Mm -hmm. And this is a story, uh, I'm going to take it a little longer than normal, maybe uh, about six yeah. minutes. Yeah, that's fine. We have time. It's called Ode to a Lone Wolf. And I think it's pretty self-explanatory, so I'll just start reading. Yeah, just go ahead. Oh, do a lone wolf. I really didn't want the donkeys, but in 2012, they seemed to be the answer to a complex problem. The creatures were Laura Kingsley's response to the predation of my Angus cattle by a pack of hungry wolves, one of several packs that run in our remote area north of Nelson in the center of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Donkeys hate wolves and will take on a pack with their flashing hooves. Mostly the predators get the worst end of the deal. The donkeys are the DNR's official but short-sighted response to angry farmers who would just as soon shoot the predators. Ironically, Laura Kingsley, the local DNR officer, became my lady friend after my painful divorce. My seven-year-old son, Dylan, and I tried to scratch out a living here, working the old homestead. But the wolves in the extreme weather make our efforts difficult. In that sense, the Upper Peninsula is a lot like parts of Alaska. Moose, wolves, bears, coyotes. You get the picture, but with more bad roads. About the wolves now. I would shoot them on sight if I had my way, but I don't. The gray wolves are considered an endangered species in the Western Great Lakes region and are protected by federal law. And I have no doubt that Laura would drag my sorry ass to jail if I shot one of her dearly protected wolves, despite the fact that we share the same bed on occasion. But damn, she can be a stickler for the laws. 16 cattle were lost last year to the savage pack. I was compensated by the state of Michigan, but the payments were always late, and the compensation remains a thorny issue here north of Nelson. The state has a legal duty to compensate farmers for their losses, but the sad fact is that the cattle here in the UP are often agitated by fear and don't put on weight like a normal hood heard in other areas of the country where the wolves have been exterminated. Several farmers in the UP 
including my brother Mark, who owns the adjoining section, took the state to court over this very issue and lost a very expensive legal battle. I guess the skinny cattle are the farmer's problem, not the state's. As for the donkeys, well, they will set upon a pack without the rigid moral scruples that prevent, prevent me from shooting them. Several donkeys can mess up a pack of wolves pretty good. So the DNR in its infinite wisdom provides the creatures to farmers around here without charge. The bigger the herd, the more damn donkeys you get. Hay burners, that's what I call them, as the state won't pay for their upkeep. Vet bills for the donkeys are the farmer's responsibility too. Figures, doesn't it? I've got one Jack and one Jenny, as they are called, and they aren't afraid of any wolves. So between me and the donkeys, we've got an uneasy truce. For simplicity's sake, my son named the animals. The male he called Jack and the female Jenny. Not original, but to keep him happy, I go along with his monikers. On my section, 640 acres in all, the donkeys can't be everywhere. I hate to think about it, but I may have to get more. Despite the donkeys, I lost three calves so far this year, and the year isn't half over. I got a good look at a lone wolf too. That took him down. That took down one of these calves. It's got an altered gait, maybe shot by a farmer before, and carries a bum leg. This lone wolf is an aberrant. I figure that the wolf must have got kicked out of the pack because he hunts alone. Or he could be a former alpha male that lost his rank to a younger and stronger upstart. Despite my distaste for wolves, I marvel at their ability to communicate through body language, scent marking, and vocalization. The pack dispenses with the weak and infirm that threaten the survival of the whole. Doesn't matter to me, but one of these days, despite my moral scru scruples, I may fix his ass, despite what Laura might say. As I lean up against the old, old cedar fence post, Laura's official DNR truck pulls into my muddy driveway. She rolls down the window. Her short crop brunette hair looks better with her official hat off and makes her more appealing to me, less official. I think, less intimidating. Hey, Randy, she says in that Upper Peninsula dialect, which sounds half Finn and half Canuck, like me, evidence of our ancestry. I'm bumping off early and thought, well, maybe, eh? I have a flash of recent memory, sometime last week. I breathe in deep. She has a taut body, like the well-seasoned professional that she is. Laura exudes a tense restraint until I play all the right numbers under in her thighs, and then the dam bursts. I can smell her scent of my bedsheets long after a night of lovemaking. I smile back. Hmm, well, we got an hour before Dylan is due home from his mother's place. The cows have already been hayed and watered, maybe. Don't make me beg, Brandy or maybe I'll find another worthless shit-kicking farmer to spread my legs for, Laura says, with that slit, slight edge in her voice 
that female cop types put on to harass perps. I guess we got time, I teased her, but only if you use your handcuffs. You like that, eh? Thank you. <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> All right. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway? Well, yes. Um, whoever writes in first with, uh, and you'll have to help me out here. Uh, with uh, book podcast giveaway, that's the subject line. And now if you could repeat your email twice. Okay. My email is a l f h e m three at gmail dot com, and again that's a l f h e m three at gmail dot com, okay. and uh, I'll send you out a copy of North of Nelson Volume Two. Volume Two. Okay, and now parting shots from each one of us. You first, Hilton. You're my guest. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Read the banned books. Read the banned books, I guess. I read, suppose. Read the banned books. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't read. Or, for writers, what you can't write. Yeah, I agree. But how about the censorship issues that are going on in schools and even in libraries? Well, the people that are responsible for banning books, I, I mean, I don't wish them ill harm. Right. But I do, do wish that they would think a little clearer and a little longer about the jeopardy that they put our country in mm -hmm. by limiting free expression. Right. Absolutely. And my parting shots are write indie, buy indie, and read indie. Read your local newspapers for inspiration. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>